Good afternoon, and welcome to Who's in the Kitchen. You're listening to WDRT 91.9 FM Community Radio, coming from Viroqua, Wisconsin, the Driftless Area, southwestern Wisconsin. And um, this is a food show. Uh, We sort of branch into farming, seeds, gardening, uh, food policy, all kinds of different topics. Today, I'm going to be talking with Mark Castell from The Organic Eye, and we are going to be talking about, um, again, organic food, organic farming, what is it? Why is it important? Is it just a extra money maker, or a fad, or something like that? Or you know, and what is organic? Can we trust the organic label and so forth? And uh, so, I welcome Mark to the thank, show. Thank you. It's an honor to be invited back with you. Well, thank you. I always like talking with you, and you have you have been uh, in on the watchdog. Uh, beat for many years now, and um, tell us a little bit about what organic eye is, or sure, yeah, sure. or and, how you came and, to that. <laughs> and in the in the list of things that uh, we're going to talk about, hopefully, and are related to the big picture as you're expanding the scope of your show, is uh, uh, what I'll call beyond organic food. Um, organic should be the ground floor for where we make our decisions, but. Can we get food that's even better than what might be at Target or Costco uh, labeled as organic? And then uh, how does that relate to our health? Because, you know, why are, why are we going out of our way? Uh, there are a lot of good reasons to go out of our way, but health impacts are certainly of paramount importance. Right. So, I guess I'm just, as I've been doing this food show for over a decade, I've begun to wow. realize we really need to connect food with where it comes from. And, yes, and, yeah, we're and, so, health. <laughs> and we're so lucky to be where we live in a food shed, which, uh, according to my late blessed, blessed friend uh, Dave Engel, uh, he calculated once that we had more organic farmers in this county than any other county in the country. And uh, I'm afraid to say that may or may not still be true because uh, as the industry has become much more lucrative. We've seen corporate agribusiness and factory farms uh, muscle their way in. So we've, we've actually lost, as a percentage, more organic dairy farmers in Wisconsin over the last few years than conventional farmers. And so just what we founded the organic movement when we helped commercialize it in the 80s to be an alternative to, uh, now we're in the same exact fight. And so it, you know, for our community, choosing excellent food has just wide repercussions. It 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 has an impact on our family's health, financially. Every unit of government, from the federal government to the local governments and school boards, are are financially strapped because of the percentage that we pay for health benefits, uh, and the health outcomes are tough. So, you know, in our area, we have those impacts in addition to uh, the economic impact of the viability of the organic farming movement because uh, not only do we have a lot of farms involved, but we have businesses like Crop Organic Valley and Westy Cooperative Creamery and Cashton Farm Supply and Mosa, one of the largest certifiers in the country, headquartered in Viroqua, so a lot of jobs and livelihoods dependent on uh, the viability in the marketplace of that label. And if 
if we see the reputation besmirched by uh, quick buck artists that have invested in organics, uh, everybody stands to lose. So we, we've got a lot on the line, and that's what Organic Eye is all about. Right. So let's go back to, well, what would be organic, and then why do we have to have certification? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> well, uh, the old axiom, be careful what you ask for. Mm. You might actually get it. And um, back in the 80s, once again, and, and crop, uh, which is what brought me here to help launch the co-op and, and that formed in 1988, although the discussions for it had taken place quite a few years before that. And uh, um, certification was voluntary back then. And we all knew we had a concept of what organic should be, whether you were certified or not. And there was no legal requirement to be certified. And it meant that we farmed in consort with nature. We didn't use toxic agrochemicals. And we, um, some of us became certified organic farmers voluntarily because we wanted to convey a message to the consumer public as it was expanding. There were consumers who were skeptical. Why should I pay more? How do I really know it's different? And, and early on, crop before Organic Valley was really formed, um, I came here and did the first market research for crop and uh, Dave Engel was on the board of directors who helped who hired me at the time, and um, and then I uh, coordinated the corporate identity project that ultimately came up with the Organic Valley Family Farms name, and I hired the artist to do the first logo, and and uh, they required certification. You couldn't become either a vegetable farmer or a dairy producer and ship to crop unless you were certified. So they set a high benchmark. The problem, Philothea, was um, we were three years off of agrochemicals, and we set high standards. And silly us, we were um, doing weed control with uh, uh, tractors burning gas or diesel. I, I hired my Amish neighbors, ladies who helped uh, hand weed. And uh, where in California they had passed a state statute, and we were considering that in Wisconsin, but their state statute said one year you could nuke the ground with herbicides to kill your weeds, the next year you could be organic, and then the following year you could use herbicides again. And we couldn't compete with that on an industrial level. Um, and so we lobbied uh, Congress, who passed the Organic Foods Production Act as part of the 1990 Farm Bill, and to create a uniform standard for what organic means. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, people don't know, but the USDA actually testified against it. They didn't want the responsibility because their, their benefactors, the corporate agribusinesses, uh, they didn't like organic. You know, if organic food was better, well, our regular food must be bad. And so we, we um, had attacks on the credibility of organics for years. And uh, and then, you know, lo and behold, they decided oh, we can make money off of this. So almost all the major brands you see in the grocery store and even some at the co-op are now owned by some of the biggest food companies, General Mills and 
pristine foods. Yeah. And, and well, I ask myself, are they really organic or are they, are they just plain lying or they are getting around uh, the standards or are there loopholes or what? Or all the above. <laughs> all the above. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I say there are two organic labels. And we're lucky because we can choose here in Vernon County. Uh, one label uh, has the USDA seal on it, and it may or may not be owned by these big corporations, and uh, it may or may not be consistent with the spirit and letter of the law. So as an example, um, the USDA has decided that you can produce fruits and vegetables in giant industrial greenhouses without soil so that the roots of the plant sit in either directly in water or in uh, more commonly waste material from conventional coconuts that just hold their roots. But they get all their nutrients from liquid fertilizers, the nitrogen source commonly being synthetic, or I'm sorry, uh, conventional soybeans. And, uh, and they call that organic, whereas the law says, and we understand that organic is not feeding the plant, it's feeding the soil. And, and the organic law says that it's incumbent upon organic farmers to maintain or improve soil fertility. So we're now getting smarter and we know that the microbiome in our guts are um, a, a key element in uh, preserving and enhancing our immune system and well-being. That comes from a myriad of sources, including the biological activity in the soil and the plants that, that we eat and, and the plants that the animals that we eat eat. And uh, so doing that in a greenhouse with near sterile conditions, as sterile as they, as they can make them, under artificial light in liquid fertilizer solutions, that ain't organic. <laughs> uh, but man, managing 20,000 cows on a single dairy uh, notice I don't call that a farm, where they might live the same short, stressed life that cattle do on conventional factory farms, uh, that they might get just a monicum of pasture, whatever they can get away with in negotiating with their certifier, who they pay for their approval, um, and where the um, hardworking people who milk the cows are generally exploited immigrants, not family farmers, that's not organic. So the, all those things are legal in the eyes of the USDA. And uh, we've sued, and, and uh, you know, we, we have to go up against the government lawyers, so we haven't been terribly successful in court. So we're kind of looking at the court of public opinion, and hopefully your um, listeners will choose carefully and we have the opportunity to choose because that second label, the second organic label, that also has the USDA seal on it frequently. Um, and it's either produced right in our local community where you can uh, meet the farmer at the farmer's market on Saturdays throughout about half the year. You can meet the farmer because many of them sell from their farms, and I can give some resources how to connect. You can meet the farmer when they deliver the CSA box into your neighborhood in Viroqua or La Crosse. Now we're broadcasting into La Crosse. Um, and so we have a relationship with the farmers. Or I can tell you, I, I 
work with a lot of co-ops all around the country. And the, the one we have in town, especially in terms of their procurement and management in the produce department, is just exemplary. It's just a, it's the gold standard. I've never seen any co-op do it better. I've seen some do just as well. But we are just blessed. The number of local producers they work with, the quality, the care, you know, you can buy organic produce, and most of it throughout the entire season in, in Wisconsin, including during the height of the harvest season, comes from California or Mexico. It's old food by the time we get it. How it's been maintained has an impact on appearance, flavor, nutrition. So they just do a wonderful job at Viroqua. It's like a farmer's market seven days a week. It's not exactly a substitute. I would still encourage people to go to the farmer's market because the food there might have been picked 10 hours ago instead of 10 days ago in California. And there are a lot of cultural enrichments you get um, by being there. It's just a wonderful experience. But the co-op is a great backup, and most people don't get that uh, around the country. No. We are just incredibly blessed. No, I have some friends who um, live part-time here and part-time in Chicago, and they said they love coming here because the, the produce they can get here is just so fresh. Just so incredibly fresh. Just, you know, yeah, just picked that morning and brought into the co-op. It's, it's amazing. And, and there, there's, yeah. it's, you know, again, there's the, the flavor and nutrition profile are basically parallel. Flavor tr nutrition profile based on the fertility and the stewardship of the soil and the freshness. So, um, you know, the, there's a folk song in Europe folk singer, and you might know it, and the chorus goes, homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes, there's just two things in this world that money can't buy, <laughs> true love and a homegrown tomato. <laughs> Absolutely true. We all know that. Tomatoes and strawberries. <laughs> yeah. so it I may a, look like a tomato. It may look like a strawberry. But... And they smell like strawberries in the store, not just, <laughs> so the, the largest, so here's the connection to your uh, to those two crops. So thanks for matching strawberries. The largest producer of, quote, organic strawberries is Driscoll's in California. And they have production in Mexico as well. And uh, they are a major hydroponic uh, producer. They, they put one of their employees on the National Organic Standards Board when the law stated that you had to have, uh, to, to sit in a farmer's seat, it had to be somebody who... Um, owned or operated an organic farm, not an employee of a corporation. Um, so, uh, and in terms of tomatoes, uh, my good friend Steve Sprinkle in Ojai, California, who's both a truck farmer, and he, has, he and his wife Olivia own a restaurant and market called The Farmer and the Cook. Wonderful if you're ever in that neighborhood. Um, he, uh, a year or two ago, told me that from distributors, he could not buy a tomato in the state of California that was grown in soil. <gasps> oh, my gosh. They were all shipped in from some mm -hmm. corporate operation. Mm -hmm. so, so we're lucky. Uh, during the strawberry season, during the asparagus season, I'm not buying asparagus from Peru right now. I don't, you, know, you can hardly taste it. Uh, I wait until it's happening locally, and I get it from my pen friend Pat Slattery, who supplies 
for local food co-op and people's food co-op, or I get it at the co-ops, and I eat as much of it as I can tolerate each week, pounds <laughs> of it, literally. And the same with strawberries. You know, I buy them by the multiple quarts, and you better eat them quick so they don't go bad. And and that's the true beauty in life. And mm-hmm. and part of that is eating in the season. I And yeah, I'm really yeah. lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I have Ricardo as one of my apple suppliers, and and you can too, if you visit the farmer's market in the fall on Main Street in Viroqua, and uh, um, I'm eating his apple still. There, I, here it is, March. They're a little wrinkly, but, the, but you open the bag and it's like perfume comes out and they taste wonderful. And if you buy an apple today, it probably comes from Washington State. It was stored in a controlled environment. I'm not sure if they evacuate the oxygen and put nitrogen. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing, but they're doing something so there's not oxygen. And uh, they may or may not be waxed with some, quote, approved material for use in organics. Uh, and when you open the bag, you don't smell anything. And when you <laughs> uh, cut it open, you don't smell anything. And when you taste it, you kind of taste a little bit of an apple flavor. But the ones that I have that don't look very well good anymore <laughs> Uh, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. My cats get little bits of them and chase them when I'm cutting them up, and and they can tell when I throw them a modern apple um, from store bought. They are not very enthusiastic. When I throw them one of these, they are crazy about them. Amazing. They them. Yep. They they smell them. They smell them. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I'm realizing, you know that. Even I, who live out here and I've farmed and everything, I'm, I'm still very ignorant. And I, I want to help other people, you know, just grow a little bit in understanding what it means to grow things. And so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just really don't think about soil as anything living. They just think of it as dirt. And this is the way a lot of people are treating the soil in who are in agriculture. You know, you just put, you put stuff on the soil just a few basic things that the plants need to grow. And you put them on, and a lot of this stuff is really artificial and um, chemicals and so forth. And and it's not actually contributing to the health of the soil, which the soil is very important. You, you mentioned it, and maybe you could go on more with that, but that helps people understand why growing hydroponically in water... Uh, it just has that same attitude. Just add some stuff to the water, and now you've got something that looks like a tomato or looks like lettuce or something. Um, well, it doesn't taste very good. <laughs> but it's the same with conventional agriculture or even maybe organic that's done on an industrial level. The, those elements that you're referring to is N, P, and K, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus. If you're growing and your crop rotation is corn on corn on corn, or corn soybeans, corn soybeans, uh, you quickly deplete the soil from all kinds of micronutrients, the boron, the manganese. These are immune-enhancing compounds, and they make the plants healthy. Well, if the plants aren't healthy, uh, you know, basically many religious practices mandate that we not eat sick plants and animals. I would testify that the plants that are generally... Uh, grown in industrial agriculture. If it wasn't for the um, 
herbicides, fungicides, and pesticides, they would die because they're so incredibly fragile and healthy. Same with the animals. If it wasn't for the synthetic parasiticides, the uh, antibiotics, they would die in the conditions they live in. Mm. So, you know, we're getting, uh, there's a book I recommend highly, and I don't know if they have it on the, in the library. It's been out for some time. I don't even know if it's in publication. It's entitled Empty Harvest, and it's by a nutritionist named Bernard Jensen. And uh, he actually profiles the work of Weston A. Price. And today, uh, there wasn't when he wrote the book, but today the Weston A. Price Foundation is an excellent resource for some of what we're talking about. And Price was a dentist that toured third world countries and visited indigenous peoples who hadn't uh, had a modern diet introduced. And they had a full set of teeth without decay in them. He was first looking at oral health. But he found that they were incredibly good health physically and mentally. They were happy people. Their marriages were good. They, they enjoyed life. And, uh, and then he went back to some of the same villages a few years later after uh, you know, the Western civilization came in and their teeth fell out and they were in terrible health every, every which way you look at it. And so if, we, if, if our crop rotations and practices deplete all these micronutrients, they're not in us. And what you're suggesting also, which is spot on, is if you just take a shovel full of dirt, there are literally millions of microorganisms in there. And these are the little critters that break down organic matter in the soil into these usable nutrients. Mm -hmm. So not only if we're depending on a very narrow scope of plant nutrition based on synthetic chemicals, uh, do we lose something? But if we, if, for instance, if the nitrogen source is anhydrous ammonia that gets knifed into the soil, or we keep on putting these synthetic compounds on the soil, we kill all these microorganisms. So it gets to the point where we're kind of farming this, in this microbial desert that uh, the, the, the soil is just a medium to hold the roots in. And then we give the, the crops are bred to... Uh, give these great yields. They're not bred for flavor necessarily. They're not bred for nutrition. That farmers, uh, you know, conventional farmers are are paid based on yield. They don't really care what it looks like, and I'm exaggerating because there's plenty of conventional farmers who do care. But they're on this treadmill, and uh, so we can break the treadmill by rewarding the farmers for their work by buying local, buying fresh. And I, I should say that, you know, when I go to the farmer's market in Viroqua, the first place I buy from is um, certified organic growers because I know they're jumping through the hoops. It's a learning process. When I was certified, I learned a lot in a, by, by going through that process. Um, but there are plenty of uh, small-scale farmers who will tell you, look right in their eyes, say, I use all organic practices, but I'm not certified for a myriad of reasons. And uh, I buy from... Uh, a lot of those folks, my, my friend Randall, who used to be on the um, commercial radio station here in Viroqua, uh, he has a... The garlic one, guy. Yeah, the garlic guy. I buy garlic from Randall. And uh, and he has one of the largest booths at the farm. Very diversified. I've also bought tomatoes and other things. Very diversified. Randall farms organically. I trust the man. I trust the guy more than some corporation 
who hires a certifier, pays them thousands of dollars, makes financial contributions to the Congress and the president who oversee the USDA organic program, I trust Randall. And, right. and, mm-hmm. But I certainly trust these local farmers who are not only trustworthy and not only our neighbors, but then they also have gone through the organic mm-hmm. process. So, you know, my hierarchy in food, and this one I, I stole from our mutual friend, George Seaman, and uh, is forget about the USDA's pyramid. I think, you know, at the bottom are like uh, white flour and white sugar or something, <laughs> and I don't know, you build your way up. The bottom should be certified organic. We should, or, or organic that we know, you know, farming practices, mm-hmm. we know are organic. That should be the floor. And then from there on, it's the local organic market. And then we have a lot of added value from doing that. The very pinnacle, which you've done, and, and I have, and we talk about, is gardening. And, and the, you know, besides for that homegrown tomato song, I always love, and I don't know if you know the saying, it's common in Wisconsin, don't go out to the garden to pick your sweet corn until the water is already boiling on the stove. <laughs> There's nothing uh, like eating out of your own garden yeah. uh, in terms of freshness, flavor. Mm-hmm. You know what you have. There's a spiritual connection that's being reinforced between you and the earth. Um, and, you know, depending on your uh, religious vernacular, the, God's creation, um, it, it, it wasn't so long ago that in every religious vernacular we said grace. Everybody said grace, and we meant it. Because we realized that in a bad, we weren't trucking produce from California. We understood that in a year where it didn't rain or you didn't get due at the same right time or you had locusts or, or weevils out in the alfalfa, that your children literally starved to death. So it's only in modern times and only for the most influent people on this planet that some of us are food secure. And, uh, and then we take it for granted. It's just another widget, another product. And in these times of high inflation, uh, that's a tough way to look at it. Uh, you know, we're, there are a lot of people in our communities and around the country and the world that are struggling to feed their families right now, let alone feed them organic food. And that's something we have to reconcile for our own families. We have to reconcile it in the lifestyles we choose, where we spend our money, how much money is left in our budgets to help the people who are less fortunate than us and some of whom are literally desperate. Right. I would really like you to go back and talk about, I mean, we could, the organic standards um you know, certification processes, many, many pages. I've done that with with a farmer, and I kind of helped him go through it, and I was just astounded what what hoops organic farmers had to go through to get certified. And and so we can't cover everything, but can you talk about, you know, um, in essence, what is organic? I mean, like like you were saying, you know, the plants need to be really grown in the soil. <laughs> yeah, but right, also, right. you know, just care of the animals and the way the food is treated and transported and processed and so forth. Very great detail is spent on, on, on this. Can you, can you tell us because why, why is organic food more expensive? I think it's because people have had to go through these hoops and they've had to do things differently than, you know, the cheap conventional way. Right, right. 
that's part of it. It, it part of it is the cost to get it certified, although it's not ter- prohibited. It, what's harder is the onerous record keeping and paperwork, because the essence of organic certification is that you have to keep an audit trail and documents for every product you buy, every input, whether it's fertilizer or an improved pesticide like a like um, uh, a botanical-based pesticide. Uh, um, and you have to keep records of who you sell all your produce to. And uh, so that's a bigger investment. Now, if you're uh, earthbound farms or tailor farms or some giant corporate grower out in California um, who has hundreds or thousands of employees, having a few that do your quality control and take care of your certification, that's a small incremental cost for doing business. But if you're a uh, couple and maybe with children to care for and you're working seven days a week during the growing season, now add a bunch of paperwork on top of that. That is challenging. So the essence for being organic is you have to have documentation to prove what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so the Cliff Bar version is three years off of any synthetic chemical that's banned, um, which is almost all of them. Uh, and for livestock, uh, the crops that they eat, whether it's pasture or whether you buy corn or soy or wheat or flax, or that you have to prove that the uh, vendor and the product you're buying is actually certified organic. So everything the animal eats is grown with the same quality as the rice or the beans or the vegetables that we buy for our own consumption. And in terms of livestock, there are a bunch of management practices that are prohibited. So most synthetic pharmaceuticals are prohibited. All are, all antibiotics, all you know things like. Uh, growth hormones are prohibited, um, and uh, and then and this is where the spirit is violated on a lot of the larger uh, brands is you have to manage your livestock humanely to provide for their natural instinctive behaviors. So for uh, cows, God created them to go out and eat grass. We can't eat grass. There's it's a solar powered uh, food production system. Um, they weren't designed to sit inside of a feedlot or a shed being force-fed corn because it makes them fat quicker or produces more milk. And, uh, and in chickens, their natural instinctive behavior is not sitting in front of a conveyor belt that goes in front of a open front, I'll call it a glorified cage, but you can't legally put organic chickens in a cage, but you can confine them in such a way that they're on multiple levels in these structures. They're called aviary systems. And with the feed going by them, their natural instinctive behavior we call foraging. It's the scratch, 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 peck, 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 scratch, scratch, peck. They're scratching to uncover weed seeds and insects and invertebrate. And um, that gives them a very diverse diet. Um, and they're not like ruminants. They're not like cows and sheep. They can't get 100% from grass, but they can get a lot of their diet from these diverse sources, and they get joy in their life. This is what uh, um, makes them, you know, have a happy chicken life. And instead of being in a building where you have to cut the tips of their beaks off because they're in such stress 
and in such close confinement that they're pecking their flock mates and and injuring their flock mates and it's just a you know entire stressful life from the day you're born till the day you die and uh where in I'm proud to say in organics I work for dairy farmers that many of whom their cows have names not numbers and we're um born onto the farm in a closed herd. They don't bring strained animals in. They were bottle-fed by usually the kids in the family are responsible for calf care. And and they're not exactly pets, but they are really bonded with their people, and their people are bonded with the animals. And, and that's, to me, what organics is about. And our work at Organic Eye is to um, protect these farmers so they're not competitively injured and protect the interest of uh, organic eaters so that when we pay a premium, we get exactly what we think we're paying for. Mm -hmm. What is Organic Eye? Tell us about it. Organic Eye is a public public interest group. We're a a nonprofit charitable organization, and uh, we are dedicated to protecting, I say, what we've all built together. A lot of Farmers and consumers in a loving collaboration and ethical business people decided that we wanted to opt out of the standard paradigm for food production. And uh, and so we built something that now is worth $60 billion a year. And when you get money involved, uh, corruption seeps through. So mm-hmm. we're, we're uh, organic eye. We're public eyes. We're not private eyes. We're, we're gumshoe detectives that work on behalf of the public. And um, I certainly encourage your listeners to come visit our website or Facebook page. Our web address is organiceye, organiceye.org. And you can either donate and become a member and get on our mailing list, or we have an option for a free news feed you can sign up for. And uh, either way, you'll connect with our research where we try to call out the bad actors, and we also uh, showcase the, uh, the real heroes in this industry. So some of the big brands that you can trust. If you click, go to Organic Eye, and so I'm your competitor in the media, Philothea, and, and Jim, who's listening in the background. Uh, if you go to OrganicEye.org and click on Resources, there's a video series entitled Castell's Kitchen. So I'm in the kitchen today with Phil Thea, but I'm in there alone for these videos. And I, I've been involved in this industry now for 30-plus years and done the watchdog work for 29 years. So I like to help uh, provide a primer for uh, – you, you eat yogurt, there's a video on what the best brands are in the country and how to choose those. And so uh, groceries, um, I'll, I'll, I'll plug Eden Foods. They're not a donor. They could be if they're listening – um, but uh, Eden Foods is a diversified, organic grocery pur- uh, purveyor, purveyor, purveyor. I'm trying to say a word I can't quite say. Um, and there, many of their products are available at Veroqua Food Co-op. There was a cat jumping on my stomach, if you heard a, a wheeze there. Um, and the, uh, they're just of exemplary quality. They're based in Eden, Michigan. Uh, it's kind of old world. If you buy a name brand organic product, chances are the company doesn't even own the factory it's produced in. They use what's referred to as a co-packer. So a company that 
might make conventional organic food for many different brands. And Eden Foods, if you buy their beans, not only do they own their own plant, and they cost a little bit more, but they actually contract directly with the farmers. They know who their farmers are. Mm-hmm. And then if you taste the beans, I think they're better. There's less water in the can. And uh, I soak and make my own beans, but I always have to have a backup because sometimes I'm either lazy or just working too many hours. And so Eden Foods are in my pantry. So if you tune into Castell's Kitchen on the Organic Eye website, you'll get some of these uh, shorthand. Um, you don't have to go through the same pain and agony I have for uh, all these years uh, ferreting out the uh, wheat from the chaff. But um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll share some of these secrets with you. Oh, that's great. Well, I just want to say I'm talking with Mark Castell. He lives uh, on a farm uh, outside of Lafarge. And uh, he has been involved in this watchdog watchdog work uh, from from the beginning of the founding of the organic movement because, so you know, pretty soon you would find people would be, I don't know, we could call the word greenwashing. I mean, they're sort of passing themselves off as organic, and they're and they're you know skirting around some of the essential um, philosophical and, uh, practical applications, uh, for, for being organic. And so they're just, I think you used to be involved with something called cornucopia, which did some similar things. It was another, you know, um, citizens group. And, yes, uh, I, f- I founded the cornucopia Institute, right. uh, in tw- 2004 with Will Fantle, but yeah. They've gone in a different direction, and, and uh, Will and I are no longer associated. I'm proud to say Will Will's retired, but he's on our Organic Eye Board of Directors. So mm-hmm. we're just as ornery and well, uh, aggressive I... <laughs> in terms of finding. We're, I'd, I'd say we might be the most polarizing group in the organic movement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of farmers and consumers uh, appreciate and respect our work, but if you're in power at the USDA or the a lobbyist at the Organic Trade Association, or work for one of these corporations, they don't necessarily appreciate everything we're doing here. Well, no, they don't like that. I mean, one of the things that concerned me, we have a friend here from our area who served on the uh, National Organic Standards Board. I guess it was, you know, voluntary, and not voluntary, but yeah, well, maybe it is voluntary. It is. But, it's vol- they're not yeah. paid. They're... No. they're um, you're and probably talking about Harriet. Harriet. Harriet Bihar. Bihar. And they're reimbursed for expenses. And Harriet actually was the chair for a while. And she was a real breath of fresh air because she was highly qualified to be on that board, whereas half of the political appointees on that board are there because of their relationship with the lobby group, the OTA, or some manufacturer. And that's not the way Congress had designed this. It's It's been betrayed during Republican and Democratic administrations. But I have to say that under President Obama and President Biden, it's just about been the worst. I'd say Trump was probably worse because he was just out to destroy any regulatory structure like this that protected the public, it seems. But um, they were smarter during the Bush and, and, I'm sorry, during the um, Obama and Biden administration so they have uh, Tom Vilsack, who's a lawyer and former biotechnology governor of the year from Iowa, running the program. And so he's appointed OTA lobbyists to uh, to high positions at the USDA and at the 
National Organic Standards Board. And guess what? They're really friendly to these corporate interests. Harriet was on the board. She was not. She she was uh, very knowledgeable. She had a background in certification. She was working for Crop when I got there in the late 80s as one of their first employees. And um, so she she's learned it the hard way. And um, so we were lucky to have Harriet on the board. And the percentage of these heroes on the board, sadly, are are down. And to to pass um, really consequential resolutions on the board, you need a two-thirds supermajority, and uh, we don't have that now. So it's really important for us, and that's why I encourage people to go to Organic Eye and sign up for our uh, news feed. So if you're really interested in buying organic food and you're really interested in protecting the word organic on a package and the farmers that produce it, we've got to join together. And part of it is our cumulative economic clout. Everybody wants our money. The good farmers, the bad farmers, the wiggers, the small, we control it when we go to the store. And so mm-hmm. we need to be empowered um, to make good discerning um, purchasing. Mm-hmm. This just seems to be the picture more and more in our country that the large <coughs> corporations with a lot of money are are diluting the standards. They are infiltrating the regulatory <laughs> bodies that are supposed to protect the public. And, um, you know, we just see it everywhere. And it's yes. probably, you know, kind of, you know, it, it's grown along with Citizens United with just, just a lot of money pouring in to influence um, legislation and regulations and... Um, you know, muddy the waters. So I'm so glad that there is something like organic eye. Well, that you know, it's in mo- in a lot of industries there aren't. And so you know, if you look at the non-GMO label, and by the way, I, I failed to mention that um, it's throughout the entire process, both on the farm, farm genetics, and in, in food ingredients and processing, there's a lot of controls. And one is that you can't use anything that's genetically engineered. <clears throat> But if labels like the non-GMO project, there's no federal law behind that. There aren't uh, public interest watchdogs like Organic Eye behind that. And uh, so whether it says local or regenerative or non-GMO, these are the definitions are whatever the sales managers decide they are in any given day. In Mm. organics, we have law behind us. We can... I, you know, I work with the FBI, I work with the USDA National Organic Standards Board. Besides for violating the spirit of the law, there is outright fraud out there, and, and our job is to catch it and, and to make sure that, mm-hmm. it, that the USDA does their job as mandated by Congress to protect us. Mm-hmm. And that, all these other marketing teams don't have that. But you're right, the money in Washington is a corrupting factor. I like to say that I refuse to... Um, concede that our government's for sale, but it is for lease every two years. Our politicians take money from the health care companies, the drug companies, um, the companies that uh, run railroads that through... Petroleum, you know, plastic. Right, right. And so, you know, who are they working for? You know, us? I don't know. And mm-hmm. organics was supposed to be different. That That National Organic Standards Board was supposed to be a buffer between the lobbyists and the rulemaking. 
and I'll be damned if we just sit down and let them have what we've created. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is, I think, my 19th year. I've been involved in organics for three decades, but my 19th year is exclusively working as a corporate and governmental watchdog. And man, I, you know, someday I'll have to retire. I'd like to go out of business here. And right now, uh, are you mentoring any younger people? Uh, that's really challenging. I have over the years, and some of them have gone on to do great work. And um, but it's uh, it's hard for people to start out in nonprofits when <laughs> the corporations are offering more money. Yeah. But there are younger people coming up in our movement, and hopefully they will take up the mantle. But being honest with you, part of my job is to cut through the corporate propaganda because. There are uh, a lot of people in this industry who think the Organic Trade Association is a public interest group, not a corporate trade group, and and they've kind of set the agenda. And all too many nonprofits partner with them and give them credibility. And uh, you know they have members like Aurora Dairy that own more factory farms than anyone else. They they uh, promote hydroponics that we were talking about. Um, that's getting in bed with the. Uh, the devil. Well, I was I was confusing that with the Organic Consumers Organization. So no, no they, OTA, they, OTA they are, is really not in behalf of organics, really. Well, they're in behalf of the business sector. Yeah, of yeah the business sector. So the Organic Consumers Association, OCA, that, like us, is a nonprofit. And Ronnie Cummins, who runs that, has been a friend of mine before uh, there was even an Organic Consumers Association. Um, he worked for Jeremy Rifkin at Foundation for Economic Trends, and I was a lobbyist for the Farmers Union, not that kind of lobbyist, a good lobby. Mm-hmm. And and we were fighting Monsanto's uh, genetically engineered bovine growth hormone together back in the early to mid-1990s when we mm-hmm. first met. So he went on. Uh, that experience proved to him that corporate propaganda was um, infiltrating and along with another colleague of ours who lives in uh, Viroqua in that fight, John Stauber, and John formed the Center for Media and Democracy. So uh, there are still a lot of veterans, and there are younger people mm, learning from us, right. hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I don't think that there's very many people in organic. I mean, just like Cornucopia, I, was, I thought, you know, it has all this, you know, posters and, and you know, uh, uh, information that people can get, and then I found out, you know, cornucopia was like, you know, half a dozen people or something. Well, how many people are involved in organic eye that really, you know, are paid? Probably about the same. Yeah. And and you know, we mm-hmm. we raise a few hundred thousand dollars a year in terms of uh, nonprofits. We're pretty small. The Rodale or the um, environmental group, working group, you donate to them. They have tens of millions of dollars, literally. And so if you do want to support this cause, you know, your your dollars uh, fuel the mission. But I also like to say our members give us the moral authority to speak out. So that we're, is, that's we're a really lean great. organization, and, mm-hmm. and we leverage our um, resources, I think, pretty well. Well, that's, that's really great, and I'm glad there's people like you who really, you know, just taken this mantle up as their, their purpose in life, really. Um, I would like to spend the last part of our show talking more about Mark's Kitchen. I'd like to talk about 
you know, how you eat and how you live. And I bet you've changed things over the years. And it sounds like you've, you really have researched some products. And in your own life, you're trying to, to live uh, more responsibly for your own health and also for, um, you know, supporting those who are trying to grow healthy food and use healthy organic practices. So tell us about, um, you know, what's in your pantry or sure, wherever sure. you'd like to. Well, I, uh, change, I'm not too into change. I, I'm, I'm a really slow changer. I love <laughs> to be proven wrong on things, and I, I learn by making mistakes. But, but most of my diet has been um, designed over a period of decades. And um, I don't, you've been in my kitchen, and I don't rem- know if you remember my story, but I was initially involved in conventional agriculture. I worked for International Harvester and J.I. Case, two of the big tractor and implement companies. But I got sick from pesticide poisoning. And and I was lucky enough to see the country's preeminent environmental allergist at the time. Uh, in the 70s, he was footnoted in all the medical literature. But when he started the concept, his thesis that environmental factors could damage our health, in the 50s, he was branded a quack. <clears throat> And uh, so he suggested I eat all organic food, and and I started eating all organic, and it was hard to find organic food back in the 70s or 80s. And, mm-hmm. and I started uh, gardening and, uh, and then farming organically, and it became impossible to sell 400-horsepower tractors and chemical sprayers to conventional producers. So I professionally got involved in the organic movement three decades ago. So my, my kitchen is based on that. And... And I buy, you know, almost everything from my local food shed. I've been an, a member of uh, a couple different CSAs in our community. There are many, many wonderful ones. Explain uh, CSA for our yeah, listeners. That's a good point, a mm-hmm. good question. Uh, CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. It's basically subscription farming. Instead of going to the store and buying food every week, you pay a farmer up front. Sometimes you can do that in installments. And they use that as literally seed money. They buy their seeds and fertilizers and pay their staff to start plants and greenhouses, and that gets them going. And then every uh, week or every other week, I'm on a every other week schedule, I get a box delivered into Viroqua. Um, they, there's CSAs that deliver into almost every community in our in our little region here. And um, that, that, uh, that produce might have been picked... Uh, that morning or the day before, usually not that morning, but but uh, very very quickly and uh, and really nurtured, and uh, so there's a lot of good karma in that box. It introduces you to food you might not have bought otherwise, but I've really enjoyed learning how to cook. And they usually come with recipes for how to fix absolutely. things like kohlrabi and turnips and things you might not know what to do. Yes, with. right. I, and I eat all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And kohlrabi, I love cold. That's just great stuff. And um, so that's where I get my vegetables, or at the farmer's market, or at the Viroqua Food Co-op. So I'm really breast in my fresh food. I actually buy milk direct from uh, a farmer. It's fresh, unpasteurized. It's, you know, Is that super. legal? <laughs> uh, it's legal to an extent. There's some people who push the boundaries. Uh, in our state, farmers can engage in what's called incidental sales. So to their friends and neighbors, and they're, you know, every farmer in the state just about, except the factory farms, dip into their bulk tank and feed their family. So mm-hmm. um, the risks are relative. 
but the nutritional enhancements are great. And um, and I buy my, meat. What about meat? I I buy that directly from a farmer here. It's 100% grass fed. I even organic meat if it's raised in a feedlot and fed corn. I, you know, my lay description is the marbling, the fat is like eating margarine. You're basically concentrating that the fat that's in corn or beans, et cetera. And so I, I try to eat beyond organic. So organic doesn't mandate 100% grass, but my meat's 100% grass, my dairy's 100% grass, my milk, my cheese. I buy the grass milk cheese at, at the Organic Valley store in Lafarge, or you can get it at the co-op. I, I, uh, my cream cheese, my, my bread comes from Rhythm Bakery and, in Viroqua. They're a wonderful couple that make really nice bread. That the, the, the miller they buy the flour from, is it's grown and milled locally. I think it's spring green or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm really blessed. My eggs come from that same farm, and the chickens are outside having a great time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so... My, those are the staples. I, you know, that I just don't buy very much processed food, you know, whether it's conventional or um, organic. If you buy and eat a lot of processed food, um, it will literally kill you. We have mm-hmm. uh, epidemics of obesity and all kinds of chronic disease in this Diabetes. Mm-hmm. Diabetes, yeah. And, and so <clears throat> a lot of this food isn't really... Uh, food, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so highly processed, it's turned into a synthetic material, and our bodies just are not equipped to assimilate that. So I, um, I use coconut oil and butter and olive oil. I don't use seed oils. Those are, um, in terms of human uh, uh, evolution, products that have not typically been a part of our diet. Unfermented soy is not typically been a part of our diet. Um, it's really hard if you're a vegetarian or vegan to make this work on whole foods, but I, I really cringe when I see the term plant-based. It, it almost means synthetic, because if you look at commercially available plant-based products, it basically means no meat. It doesn't mean healthy. It might not be organic, but even if it is, it's you know, soy protein isolate. I'm not going to eat that crap. Um, but, but I am going to have a wonderful vegan meal of uh, broccoli sautéed with onions, ghee, um, my favorite Indian spice mix, and, and chickpeas or garbanzo beans, which in India they call chana. Um, and I have a wonderful meal on short-grain brown rice that, that, um, that doesn't have meat or dairy in there, and I have whole, you know, balanced protein. Um, so if you're for either religious purposes, philosophical, um, or perceived health purposes, you've made the decision not to eat livestock products, um, then we'll respect that decision. But you need to work hard to um, really have a rich rich diet that, that, that nurtures your body. And, and uh, in our, our organic eye, we're going to, you know, protect the food you want to buy, whether you're a uh, omnivore, uh, raw food enthusiast, or a vegan or a vegetarian. We all deserve honest food where justice is part of the whole uh, purchasing uh, agreement we have with our suppliers. 
Well, Mark, it has just been a pleasure to talk with you and um, to know that you're out there being being a gumshoe detective <laughs> and, uh, you know, making sure that people abide by the the standards that they say they're following. And um, if people want to, to contact you, they can go to organiceye.org and, uh, or Facebook page and, and find out some of the different projects that you uh, have done and the resources you offer to uh, people who are interested in this, in having good, healthy food. Well, so. thank you. You're a real hero and uh, <laughs> for our community, and I am a big fan and financial supporter of WDRT. I hope everyone else is also. <clears throat> it's very unique. We have a, <clears throat> excuse me, demographically unique community where we can support this kind of farming and support information and entertainment sources like WDRT, uh, most people aren't that lucky. So we, we need to uh, nurture and make sure we back uh, you and and the rest of the staff at WDRT. Thank you. Well, so, gosh, thank you, Mark. That is just so nice. So I've been talking with Mark Castell of Organic Eye. This is his identity right now, I guess. And um, you've been listening to WDRT 91.9 FM Community Radio from the ground up. And I'm Philothea Beeson. I have a show, Who's in the Kitchen? And we've been having Mark Castell in our kitchen today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week.